You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Carter comes up shooting. Welcome to Toronto Sport Matters Podcast 89 or something. We haven't done one for a while, so the number... I've lost all the numbers. I don't know where we're at right now, but, but we're back. We're doing a podcast. This has been a very difficult situation for a lot of people. The whole coronavirus uh, pandemic, a lot of people are dealing with a lot of difficult situations financially and psychologically, but uh, hopefully we can provide some entertainment for you folks. We have some big news for our lovely two panelists that we're gonna, I'm going to introduce in a sec. Uh, on one side, we have... Christian Graffin, who just had a baby boy named Carter. So Graffin, congrats, buddy. Thank you, thank you. How's fatherhood treating you? Well, it's very hard. He's napping right now, so I have a few minutes uh, to, to, to do this. Thanks uh, thanks for the invite, and uh, Greg, thanks for taking so long to join us. Uh, technical difficulties, eh? <laughs> I'm rusty. And on the uh, on the other side, we have, um, I guess, like the not the opposite, but something sort of related. Greg is going to become a father as well. So congratulations, Greg! Coronavirus baby, the coronavirus baby. <laughs> I'm terrified. Congrats! You got, you got to call your ki- you got to call your kid McGrady. Graf Scott Carter. You got McGrady. I'll name my kid Stoudemire. I want Stoudemire. Stoudemire, Stoudemire, you're a shot is? <laughs> Strong name. Strong name. <laughs> oh, God. Um, how you guys been holding up, though, for uh, this whole couple months or so? Are you guys doing okay? Well, uh, for from my standpoint, I've been hermiting trying to finish my thesis for about a year, so nothing really changes. I've been training my soccer teams uh, virtually, so I've been doing it online. Uh, it's limited, but so I, I really can't complain, uh, because like I said, my life hasn't changed too much. And also, uh, everyone I know has been, or I haven't known anyone to be uh, affected by the virus, uh, that is health wise. So in that sense, uh, you know, you just count your blessings, right? Cause a lot of people are, are struggling. Yeah. And I guess on my end, um, well, with the baby being born on April 15th, well, for one, being in the hospital and like the the big, you know, in the middle of the pandemic and everything, that was pretty crazy. I was only just me allowed inside the room. Um, there were a few other rules, like I wasn't allowed to leave. But since then, um, since Carter has been born, um, we've been pretty much, we were going to be inside anyways. So for us, it's been 
it's been pretty much the same thing as Greg, just trying to hermit, stay inside and, uh, you know, not have too many guests over. I guess that's the main difference. But other than that, I'm watching a lot of Raptors replays and reruns late at night at like four in the morning. Uh, that's new. But other than that, no, same old, same old. How about you, Brandon? It's funny, like, you guys got these big adult moves. Grass got a kid, Greg's going on the way, and I'm just crushing, like, NHL 20 tournaments and eating boxes of cheese sets every day. Uh, but, Bran, you know, I was going to say, uh, I've also uh, started playing Warcraft 3 again. So, I'm with you, bud. The gaming has definitely... <laughs> I, need a comp- I need an outlet for my competitive side. I need something to compete in. <laughs> You just yeah, admit it to everyone that you play Warcraft, eh? <laughs> Not World of Warcraft. They play uh, the strategy game. Oh, that's much better. <laughs> so artsy. Alrighty, let's get to the topic at hand. We're going to start off discussing the coronavirus and how it's impacted the NBA. So on March 11th of this year, the NBA announced the suspension of this season following Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert's uh, positive test for the coronavirus. Uh, next day, March 12th, the NBA established a set of policies that were effective through March 16th. These include things like players required to remain in the market for the team, no group workouts or practices, the team physician or trainers talking to each other, player daily, plus a couple other things. Um, April 6th, Ernie Johnson um, interviewed Silver and uh, basically was stating there'd be no decision on the restart of the season made before May 1st, so we haven't really heard too much information. Uh, the suspension is expected to cost the league hundreds of millions of dollars in lost revenue and television advertisements and lost ticket sales. Paul, who's the president of the National Basketball Players Association, told ESPN on a Friday, uh, we want to play, we want to play bad. I think it's consensus among the guys around the league. We want to be obviously as safe as possible. But the biggest thing is that we're missing games. Guys, how do you see the situation unfolding? What should the league do regarding seeding play, playing playoff format, sorry, as well as the delaying of the summer league and the NBA draft as well? Raph, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, I mean, I know it's going to be about safety, obviously, for the comeback um, for the league. I think they're not going to do anything. For me, it's more more about like the location of of where they're going to do this. I heard Disney World at first was going to be an isolated location because for me, look, just the fact that Toronto is a team that you have to cross borders. There's so many different states right now with different COVID rules. It's going to be really, really hard for them to actually find a place to play. And I think that's going to be the main challenge. Um, I think when they do come back, because I think that will happen because it's things seem to slowly knock on wood, um, be coming back to normal. Um, but that's in Canada. The, the situation in the U.S. is completely different right now. So who knows how long it really will go on, but also at the same time, who knows how long before they just say, we're, we're just willing to open it up and start play. Um, the NBA was the first one to shut down. I could easily see them being the first one to open back up and try to be the catalyst there. But Adam Silver is, is pretty strong on his stance from what I can read on him that he's not doing this unless there's a lot of safety precautions and mainly testing involved. And again, in the U.S., that's a big issue when all these tests are being used to for athletes when there's not really enough tests for regular people. So I can foresee it starting again. I can see them having to do maybe even a shortened version of the playoffs. And then I can also see them having to start on Christmas Day. I think all of those are very viable options right now. That That's interesting. Um, it's an interesting point you make there, Graf, about the politics around like the testing and how you know there aren't enough tests to go around um, besides the American population. Yet, you know, having to use them on the athletes, right? 
look, uh, I I would like to think the most likely scenario is that they just go right into playoffs. Um, I, I I don't see it as worthwhile for teams like the Wizards. Or, well, I mean, the Wizards actually had come on strong recently, but teams that are out of the playoff race, right, uh, to have to put their players at risk, uh, to have to, uh, for just a remaining regular season games that won't matter, I think the most likely scenario would be just to go right into the playoffs and use the seeds, use the seedings uh, as they are, and maybe play a five, maybe play five game series. Yeah, I'm with Greg on this one. Um, I'm just even looking at the playoff seating. Like for me, like you want a fair competition. You know, I was thinking maybe seven, eight, nine, ten seed sort of tournament to determine the last two seeds in the playoffs. But yeah. Looking at the NBA standings right now, you know, you got what you got Washington five and a half games behind Orlando for the eighth seed, and even in the West, you know, I understand it's only what three and a half games uh, Memphis has over Portland, but still, it's a pretty substantial edge, and I think it's completely fair to base the seeding right now off of what we've seen in the playoffs. A hundred percent. I know. I, I, I definitely agree with that. I just don't think it's realistic. To, I mean, just based off what the players have said right now is they all want to play basketball, but I don't think any of them are, are, are capable of going straight well, into playoff mode, right? Like they're going to have to do yeah, some sports exhibition games first or something. <laughs> The, the Let me ask you guys a question um, quickly. Sorry, in comparison to any other league, you know, you're talking about the NHL, NFL, MLB. I, I personally feel like the NBA is probably the only sport within the realm of the mainstream North American sports that could potentially have the same product without a fan base. You know what I mean? I don't think the fans have as much of an impact on the discourse of the game as, let's say, football. For a watching purpose, no, I, I agree with you. It's good. Again, like we all played street ball and like watch. You know what I mean? Like without a crowd, it's it's. I, I w- I've been watching the UFC recently without a crowd. I think it would be just as fun with the with the NBA. I was like almost enlightened because I get to hear the chatter. You get to hear everything. I, yeah, I, I, I was gonna say actually. I actually think that not having the crowd. Uh, and, and having those mics um, on the court, that would, would actually make for a better viewing experience, dare I say. So I agree with you, Graf. Yeah, it'd be fun. I mean, playoff atmosphere, I don't know what it's like for the players' point of view. I know that I heard some of them yeah. saying, like, it won't be the same. Players. Exactly. You know what? It's just an excuse in, in my mind. <laughs> Alrighty, so hopefully we get Basel back relatively soon. Um, I think we're all in agreement that we shouldn't jump the gun too soon, let the situation play out, but it, it would be nice to have some sort of entertainment, and as uh, Graf was mentioning, uh, re-watching a bunch of Raptors games isn't really sort of filling the uh, the basketball need for me. The first two weeks. <laughs> My okay. earning for new basketball. The first two weeks. Alright, uh, we're going to do what basically every mainstream sport podcast is doing right now. We're going to do a redraft. Um, I just think it's an excellent opportunity to sort of go back and look at what teams did at that time and how maybe making a different decision could impact their organization in a couple of years down the road. So how we're going to break this down is that whoever you pick, you pick, okay? So, Greg, I'm looking at you, buddy. Once you're deciding on uh, Markeith Morris at number 12 and you're seeing that Nikolai Meritich's name is still on the board, you can't go back, my friend. You have to keep your pick. Um, <laughs> and then Graf, uh, we're going to do it. Greg goes number one. Graf gets number two, I get number three, and then so on. So Graf gets four. Up to what number? Greg gets five. 
Um, we're gonna go up until fifteen. Excellent. So uh, yeah, so the, 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 for number one, the goal is to create a starting five. Correct. For, yeah, think about this is, think about that team with. Go on. Sorry, go. No, go on, Brandon. Think about that team with. Think about that team within that year, 2011 Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron James, who would be a great complimentary player to put alongside LeBron when he came back to Cleveland. You know what I mean? Like in hindsight, sort of discussion. Yeah. All right. And uh, I get the opportunity to start us off. Yeah, Cleveland Cavaliers picking number one. And to me, there's absolutely no doubt. Forget any sidekick for LeBron or whatever. Um, you know. And you got to go Kawhi Leonard, uh, formerly the number 15th pick. Clearly, to me, the best player that came out of this draft. Could, he would have been a Scotty, you know, to, to LeBron's Jordan. Uh, well, keep in mind, LeBron wasn't on this team quite yeah. yet, right? This is talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers, yep. the basement dwelling Cavaliers before LeBron came back and won them a championship. So, but it would have been, you know, a, how do you think he would have been their defensive stopper? And I think, you know, look, then nobody knew how good Kawhi was going to be, right? But looking back now, he's clearly the most talented player in the draft class. All righty. Uh, we're going down to number two. That's for Christian Graffin. This is going to, I believe, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Their original pick was Derek Williams yeah. from Arizona. Graf, who do you got, buddy? Yeah, and he, I will not be picking Derek Williams, um, obviously. So this is tough because uh, Minnesota at the time, I mean, they were they were pretty invested in Ricky Rubio. Like, he was pretty much, like, he was very new, and he was the point guard of the future. And for me, because I was having this debate before, basically between who would I draft in this draft, Kyrie Irving or Clay Thompson, I, it, it's hard for me to not take Kyrie here. Um, but I feel like Clay and... And, and Kevin Love, they've been friends for a long time. I feel like the shooting guard, that combination, they'd be ahead of its time with just so much with shooting. Rubio. Rubio is the point guard with Clay Thompson as a shooting guard and Kevin Love. They, you know, they, they actually had some good pieces around it, like Wayne Ellington at the time, like who we didn't really know was going to happen. So honestly, I, I would be going Clay Thompson with my second pick as Minnesota. Oh, wow. That's tough. I got, uh, I got number three. Um, Talking with Utah Jazz, they originally took Ennis Cantor. Clay Thompson was the perfect guy with Gordon Hayward in that situation. You know what? It, it, it's 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 difficult for me to pinpoint exactly who I want in the situation, but I think Gordon Hayward is a point sort of forward. He can handle the primary ball like ball handling responsibilities. I think Jimmy Butler might be kind of redundant in that situation. I think a guy like Kyrie Irving who consistently drained the open three um, sort of handled the two guard, one guard role with Gordon Hayward. I, I like Kyrie Irving going number three. Keep in mind, I would say Jimmy Butler is a better player and I'd rather have Jimmy Butler, but in this situation, I'm going Kyrie number three. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Alrighty, so we're going number... Yeah, I just, you know, I don't see Gordon Hayward and Jimmy Butler really establishing much of a rapport. Very similar players to a certain degree, and, you know, I just don't really... I don't think Jimmy Butler moved the needle as well as Kyrie would yeah. in that situation. All right, Greg, you're back on the clock. You're back to the Cleveland Cavaliers at number four. Greg is Cleveland. You already drafted. You already drafted Kawhi Leonard. Uh, the original pick was Tristan Thompson. Uh, who do you got at number four? Uh, so you, sorry, you just took Kyrie off the board. I did. Yep. Uh, I'm going with uh, Jimmy Butler. 
at shooting guard. So Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, and Kawhi Leonard, and potentially LeBron James. <laughs> That's right. Not bad. All talent. <laughs> it doesn't. Okay, sure. That makes. Okay. I'm not picking for positions. I'm picking for talent. LeBron's gonna play point. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go down to uh, – so we were at number five for Christian Graff, and this is the Toronto Raptors. Originally, it took Jonas Valanciunas. Graff, who do you got, buddy? Well, since Greg foolishly took Butler, that really um, changes things for me. Uh, see, I don't know why the Ra- – I mean, the Raptors – had Bargnani at the time, right? And I know that he was being shit on in Toronto, but he, they were kind of out of their time with that. Um, yeah, I, I, they had to give him a chance. Right? I can't. You know, I can't, Grab, I, Grab yeah. could I, it's interesting you say that. I was just thinking about that the other day, how Bargnani would be so coveted in the modern NBA. Yep. But, I know, I know, I know. It's tough. I mean, fuck. I, you know what? Honestly, I guess I would have to. It's either between Kemba and... Tobias Harris for me and because I just said all that shit about Ricky Rubio uh, <laughs> that's 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 a tough one I, I honestly might <laughs> I might just be uh, playing clay at the three and uh, moving Kemba to the two there and Ricky Rubio I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take Kemba Walker Kemba Walker locked in for the Toronto Raptors uh, yeah that'd be a pretty good pick like Jonas was fantastic for us I know Greg uh has a little bit of sauce while for that Lithuanian assassin, but I think Kemba would definitely uh, make his Kemba, championship contender. Kemba, Damar, and Bargnani. Not too bad. No, not too bad at all. All right, I'm at number six. I got the Washington Wizards. Original pick was Yann Vesley. Uh, did not work out for them, um, but we're... Check gonna- sensation. They, they got John Wall. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, realistically, looking at the 2011 Washington Wizards, I'm going down the roster right now. Rashard Lewis is there. Um, you got JaVale McGee and Nick Young and John Wall. There's basically nothing to work with. So with the exception of the point guard position, I can go in any direction I want. And I'm going to throw you guys a curveball, and you guys are probably going to disagree with me, but I think right now he's the best player out of the bunch, and I'm going Bojan Bogdanovich. Oh. Wow. Yeah, that... That that kind of caught me by surprise. I like Bogdanovich more than Tobias Harris personally, and I think Bogdanovich, Sean Wall, Bogdanovich being able to you know get the like from the low post, Sean Wall kick you out three point shot. I just think it'd be the best situation for him. Hmm. Uh, so I'm next here at number seven. Originally, it was Bismack Biombo selected to the Sacramento Kings, <laughs> right? So yeah, and now just to. Uh, just to verify this selection, I'm selecting for the Kings, right? Not for my budding team here that I've created. Correct? No, no. Hold on. one second though. Graft, do you would you pick Harris over Bogdanovich? Is that that con- contentious of a pick? Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably would have taken Harris. Yeah. You saw Bogdanovich's numbers this year, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. It's just, I guess. Uh, I, I know, I know. I guess it's just it's the defensive end. I mean, I don't know. I, I think Tobias Harris was capable of like taking over as a franchise player on the Clippers when he was there, whereas Bogdanovich hasn't really done that yet with the Kings. Yeah, but to, Tobias Harris as a number one guy is not going to win a championship either as Bogdanovich. I just think that Bogdanovich is a better complimentary player based on his skills. You know what yeah. I mean? 
doesn't doesn't need the ball in his hands. But the defensive side of the ball conversation is definitely definitely uh, significant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and on I mean, that note, I, on that note, I'm going to bias Harris uh, for the number seven pick for the Kings to compliment a young uh, Boogie Cousins. That's a good pick. Yeah, that would be a pretty that would be a pretty crazy team, honestly. Yeah, Boogie just needed some help, man. <laughs> Alrighty, we're going down to number eight. That is Christian Graf, and he is selecting for the Detroit Pistons, who originally selected Kentucky point guard Brendan Knight. All right, for them, I, I'd be going. I'd be looking at a big in this situation, just because Ben Wallace was their center at the time. I mean, oh, actually, they had Greg Monroe too, so he was pretty young. So I just don't like, you know, Chandler Parsons, Chumpert. Their point guard is Will Bynum. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to go Isaiah Thomas, the last pick in the draft. Nice. Wow. Aggressive. Why are you picking Isaiah Thomas? Well, first of all, people forget quickly how good he actually was in Boston. Like, he was very, very good um, before they shipped him off. I know he took a little... Yeah, exactly. And he took some time before he got there, but he was actually pretty efficient everywhere he went. He just needed to find a home. Not to mention, like, their point guard was Will Bynum at the time. Their backup point guards were Russell Walker, Walker Russell, who clearly I've never heard of. Um, so again, obviously like they had an older team at the time too. Like they, they'd be looking to, to sort of build off that. And plus Isaiah could play the two. Like if they really, really truly believed in Brandon Knight instead of that, then, then that's kind of the position that they were looking to fill anyways. So. Well, good selection. Uh, I'm up next. I unfortunately have the number nine pick going to the Charlotte Bobcats. They originally took Kemba Walker. Um, slim pickings at this point. A couple decent guys on the board. Um, you know, this team was dog shit at the time. They legitimately had nothing. So part of me really wants to take a guy like Reggie Jackson who could be uh, maybe like they're a, a sliver of offensive identity. But for me, I got to take the best player available. And in hindsight, I think uh, Chandler Parsons is the best player on the board. Uh, you're talking about what six foot nine, six foot ten forward can play both forward positions. Uh, efficient, like forty percent three point shooter. Uh, maybe a little bit before his time. Obviously, injuries definitely put a you know a negative spin on his career. But I think Chandler Parsons is the best pick so, for the show. So, if, so we're taking into account then, like we're not taking into account injuries that later befell these these players because in like. In, investing in someone that you know is going to be injured, right? Because you're right. He, he had a lot of upside and, and he was showing real potential. And then he signed that Memphis contract and it was like done. Yeah, it was either him or Nikolai Vucevic. I, I just, I don't know. I think Chandler Parsons in the right situation. If, you know, uh, he could have gotten injured, it could have been, you know, the same situation that happened in real life. But I think Chandler Parsons, if he did get an opportunity playing for a team like the Bobcats, knowing what he can do, knowing the evolution of the game, I think he could have been an all And on that note, at number 10, I am going Vucevic. Because, you know, the, the guy's got an outside game, uh, efficient score, turned into an all-star. Num- took it took him some time though to get there though eh? yeah but but uh like i said turned out to be all-star level talent can shoot the three modern game uh you know he's not as bad defensively as people would assume uh yeah i got vucevic at number 10 i think 
Alrighty, we're going down the list right now. Graf, you are up next. You got the Golden State Warriors at number 11. The original selection was Clay Thompson. Well, it's a big wow. downgrade from Clay Thompson because obviously I can't I can't get anybody that good. But um, I am going to take Greg's uh, favorite guy. And it does make sense at the time because they really just didn't have a good big to put beside David Lee, who's a little bit more of a perimeter player. So I'm taking JV who's going to yeah. dominate down low with Steph Curry and Monte Ellis and David Lee. And that team's going to turn it around and they're not actually going to go 23 and 43. They're going to go 43 and 23. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was looking, JV averaged 20 and 10 in Memphis. You know? Imagine that with Steph and Monte Ellis. Uh, uh, okay. Are you Alrighty, I I am up next, and I have the number twelve pick. I'm back with the Utah Jazz. They originally took Alec Burks. Already got Gordon Hayward. No, you're at eleven. Urban already. Right? Or is it twelve? No, my fault. You're right. I'm I'm thirteen. My fault. Alrighty, so we got Kyrie Irving. We got Gordon Hayward. Just looking at the list right now. Um, it's tough. There's a couple decent guys on the list, but I think realistically, I got two two guards. Pretty solid foundation. I'm going to go... Oh, this is so fucking tough. I'm going to go Nikolai Mirotic. What? I'm I'm very... Cl- I, I'm torn on the Morris brothers. He's not- I'm torn on... I'm torn on Davis Bertrands. There's like... Ennis Cantor is still there. Reggie Jackson. I'm... I'm fuck, no. I'm going. Mirotic. Locked in. Like yeah. Miritich could still be in the league. I think he just made the choice that he wanted to go to Europe because no, he got he he got more money playing in. Yeah, um, you know, you're talking about not the greatest defensive player in the NBA, but someone who um, is a definition of the modern yeah. three wing, big stretch wing. You think about his last season as well before he dipped. He was playing. Or the year before, when he played for the Pelicans, he had 17 points per game. Yeah, no, he's a, power, a, he's, a he's a power forward center. He's six ten. Yep. Yeah. That, uh, that's a good pick. All right, we got number thirteen. We're going back to Greg. He's got the Phoenix Suns. The original selection was Markeith Morris, according to Graph and the shitty Morris brother. Uh, Correct, Greg. Who do you got at number thirteen? Um, uh, very simple. Instead of the shitty Morris brother, I'm taking the better Morris brother. <laughs> so Marcus, yeah. Marcus Morris yeah, he's got a good career Marquise, no, you know it's it's actually interesting looking at this draft class that Marquise has picked over Marcus right because Marcus has had a far better career so I wonder if that's just because Marquise like was or used to be better and got lazy well there's the, there's baby Graffin well, Graf is gone for the remainder of the podcast, so Greg, you and I are going to hold this fourteen. <laughs> so wait, you 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 won thirteen, Marquise Morris, yeah. uh, Marcus, not Marquise, Marcus, Marcus. Okay, so we're going to fourteen. We got the Houston Rockets original selection. Was the guy you just said, Marcus Morris? Greg, I'll give that to you as well. Uh, you know, looking at this list and. Well, let's let's throw up some names that are still available. We got Ennis Cantor, Tristan Thompson, Bismarck, Brendan Knight. Alec Burks is still there. Iman Shumper, Donis Manajunas, um, Freed, Ken Freed still Did there as Andrew well. Um, Davis Bertrands as well. Yeah. Uh, so each one. I'm more. deciding between 
Okay, for longevity and fit in the modern NBA, it's Bertans. But, like, in terms of at peak production, Kenneth Reed had some very good years in the NBA. Right? Uh, he did, he did. So I'm going to go with Kenneth Reed at 14. Did back up to Amari Stoudemire, I guess, yep. eh? All right, I get the last pick, 15. I'm going right off the board. It's the Indiana Pacers. We're talking about Hoosiers basketball, Larry Bird, white mid white white Midwest blue-collar rhetoric. We're going with my boy, Jimmer Fredette. Let's go. 15, locked in. Jimmer Fredette. Let's go. Let's go. Wow. <laughs> well, you know what? He can score the ball. He can score the ball, that's for sure. You... Jimmer Fredette wearing those Indiana Pacers jersey, those colors. You, it just seems like they go together like peanut butter. Bro, you picked him over like guys that are still in the league. Like Joseph, right? Like Norris Cole had some good years in the league. How how dare you disrespect John Lauer like that, Brandon? And Kyle Singler. Uh, well, so this is so I think this is a pretty good redraft. This year, it's a good year to so pick we, because this year. I've, like if you look at this 2011 draft class, like the the top like 15, like there's so many of them that were just bad picks. Well, let's go over the draft again. So for number one, Cleveland Cavaliers, you took Kawhi Leonard. Graphic at number two, he took Clay Thompson. I had number three. I took Kyrie Irving. You had number four for Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah. and you chose Jimmy Butler. So Jimmy Butler and Kawhi seems like a pretty intimidating tandem. At number five, we're going to go Kemba Walker to the Toronto Raptors. Number six, we got the Washington Wizards, and I went with Bogdanovich. Number seven was the Sacramento Kings. You went with Tobias Harris, play alongside Boogie Cousins. Number eight is the Detroit Pistons. Graf had that pick. He went with the short man, Isaiah Thomas. Number nine was the Charlotte Bobcats, and I grabbed my boy, Chandler Parsons. Number 10, we had the Milwaukee Bucks. You took Vucevic. Uh, number 11 was Golden State. They got our boy Jonas Valanciunas. Number 12 was the Utah Jazz. I chose Meritech to play with Kyrie Irving. Uh, number 13 was Marcus yeah. Morris. We decided to go to Phoenix yeah. Suns. 14, you had Houston Rocks as well. You chose Kenneth Reed, and I had 15, Mr. Jimmer fucking Fredette. So pretty good selection, hey. with the exception of my 15. So Cantor, but, hey, man, Cantor, and Thompson. Balls. Cantor and Thompson, we left out? <laughs> yeah. All right. we, okay, I'll read all the guys. We, we left out Derek Williams and his Cantor, Tristan Thompson, Bismack Biambo, Schumpeter, uh, your boy, Markeith Morris, Iman Shumpert, uh, Reggie Jackson, uh, Corey Joseph. We left out Sheldon Mack. Sheldon Mack. We also left out John Lauer, uh, Burton's, as well as Etwan Moore. I regret nothing. Me neither. Jimmy Fredette all day. All right, Greg, I know you wanted to talk about The Last Dance. If you guys are not familiar with this, it's basically a sports documentary mini series co produced by ESPN and Netflix. It's directed by Jason Heyer. And basically, the show revolves around the career of Michael Jordan with a specific focus on his last season. It features footage from the film crew that had an all access past the Bulls that season. So you're seeing the, uh, the inside into the Chicago Bulls locker room with such characters as Scotty Pippen, Dennis Robin. Your boy, Phil Jackson. It's been an incredible show, incredible experience. Give me something to look forward to during the yeah. coronavirus pandemic. I know you had a couple questions you want to throw well, out there. At, first, a couple, at uh, first it was, I wanted to pose a, a, a bit of a discussion because I didn't think it was quite right to be griping about things that don't that don't really matter when bigger, there are bigger things at stake, right? People's lives are at stake. But then I looked again 
at this Globe and Mail article by uh, Kethel Kelly. Uh, and I've this guy, I don't know why he's allowed to write on sports. He clearly doesn't know anything about them. Uh, it's an opinion piece here. Michael Jordan comes off flawed and bullish in fascinating Last Dance documentary. Um, you know, and he talks about, like, Jordan being a bully. Look, um, I think that's very short-sighted. Uh, I actually thought in watching it, like, hearing about Jordan's reputation, I, I thought that he came off, uh, like, nicer than I thought he was. Like, if you played competitive sport, you know that there are that there's a lot of shit-talking, that there's a lot of, like, machismo, a lot of egoism, Um and but when I watch that, uh, I actually see a great leader, right? Now you you know you may say oh he's being a jerk and blah 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 like he's but you know what everything was falling on that guy's shoulders, right? And say what you want like he got he rose the level of play of those around him. There are different ways to lead. Not everybody, right? Is the Pat you on the butt, uh, listening to you cry type leader. Some people, it's it's right, it's a dictator approach. Uh, and you know what? The guy got results, man. He got results. And to be honest, I I, I found that he was a far more effective leader than I even thought he he, he could be. You know, the you, you look at the documentary, you look at Michael Jordan and just the daily demand out of him, you know, from his coaches, the management, uh, you know, members of the media to himself, to his teammates. That guy was constantly on. He talked about yes. allegations after every single game. You know, you look about the Golden State Warriors during that year. They talked about how they burnt out, how they were, you know, having issues dealing with the, 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 the fandom that followed them every yes, single game. Yes. Michael Jordan dealt with that for a decade plus, you know. And, and, and it was- so him still being able to maintain, you know, a calming, not a calming leader in the Always control, but still be able to, yeah, be able to maintain that sort of focus and that discipline in the context of the insanity going around him 24-7 is pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, I don't think people really understand what was expected and demanded out of him. And, you know, he, he was a man. No, and, and that's, you know, just going back to the point I was making, what you're saying about, like... You know the the demands that fell on him, and how, and that media coverage. Like, yeah, they were following the Bulls, but really, they were following Michael. And you know, there's a lot. Like, he's the one ultimately that's going to have to answer to them, right? And and I also thought, uh, just shifting the focus a bit here. You know, you talked about the media. It, this documentary, I think, does a good job of exposing the damaging uh, effects that the media can have on 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 on, on players. Um, you know, you you see it uh, in. The, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, right? But um, what when what happens to Jordan's father? How quickly they they turned on him, and and even with the gambling, right? It, you know. More than you was so more funny. than a, funny thing about that the gambling thing though just quickly the guy Jordan owed a guy a gambling debt and Jordan wouldn't pay that guy a gambling debt so that guy went out and wrote a fucking book basically as a fuck you to Jordan for not repaying him his gambling debt which I found so hilarious. yeah but like you know what like the the okay the American media loves the success story right but more than that they love 
the story that that uh, follows, which is like the downward trend of it, right? They they love to see the, the the rise, but also the fall. And I think with Jordan, like you saw how quickly that turned. They were like jackals, and I didn't think it was ethical to be. Oh, it's a coincidence that Jordan has gambling debts and his father died. Well, the conditions around that death didn't. It didn't seem to be at all like it was related to that like um it seemed like a carjacking right and again uh that's what contributed that's what contributed to his burnout and also contributed to him coming back and 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 teaming with warner brothers to reset the narrative around his career and say you know what i'm not gonna let you guys write the story anymore just backtrack one second i just i I will say this kind of separate uh, thing within what you were saying, I think the NBA landscapes, sort of the media, the NBA media landscape has dramatically changed within the last twenty years. In which way, like you think per- about the sensations? Well, general news, uh, like like obligation to present news, uh, the sensationalism. Think about the OJ Simpson, yeah, context, yeah, yeah, all that kind of bullshit that existed within the complex of media. All the sensationalism, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? All that kind of bullshit. I think right now, I don't think members of the media. I, I think the majority of members of the media aren't really sort of you know vilifying people degree that was traditional in the 90s or but, but now it's more it's more it's more coverage but i wouldn't necessarily say it's like it's it's better quality coverage like it's like more information less knowledge and these guys don't have any privacy anymore right i mean and to an extent we're contributing what's well, it's go on well it's not necessarily it's not as much as an attack on character now that's what i would say you know what I mean? As much as it was before. I mean, talk to, talk to Kevin Durant. Durant. Talk to Kevin Durant, right? Yeah, but yeah, but Kevin, like Kevin Durant's frustration stems from opinions based on social media. Yeah, okay? that, that's even out there. Jordan's frustration at the yeah, Michael Jordan's frustration at the time stems from people writing sensationalistic, sensationalistic bullshit about him that wasn't true, or maybe was grandiose. You know what I mean? Over the top. And I'm saying I don't think right now reporters or journalists are necessarily writing content that sort of follows the same sort of archaic sensationalistic formula that everyone was writing about. In the nineties yeah um so I, I i'm more just saying like michael jordan went through a lot more bullshit yep. personally because i think a lot yep. of people right now complain about the impact of social media but a lot of that is you you don't have to say anything that's yeah. all like word of mouth fan-based speculative bullshit yeah no and and you know but i think that jordan learned from his first bout like his first three-peat and that's why when he came back he was much more measured and like he probably hired a PR rep, like right, or a PR team. Oh, he definitely did, right? He has to. And 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 you know, we we spoke about this in private. Like, there's like LeBron definitely learned from that. You know what I mean? Like, he learned from the trials and tribulations that Jordan had has gone through, and I think he's uh, being able to put on a much more strategic uh, face. Right? He was kind of born to that, right? right? You know, even one thing I was thinking about watching this is that you think of most sports and the game evolves, the game gets better, the players get bigger and the players get stronger. Watching this documentary, you know, do you think the NBA, even from a talent grit level, has advanced? Grit? No, okay. So it's an interesting. So great. No, you. Well, it's grit and talent, you know what I mean? Because they're talking about the, the evolution of the game, three-point shooting, yeah. you know what I mean? 
Michael Jordan could have been a great three-point shooter if yeah. he paid his time to it, as well as multiple NBA yeah. players as well. Like, I don't really see a massive drop no. out in comparison to what you see in hockey. So, football he, it's an interesting point with basketball um, because I think in the 80s and 90s, the game had the biggest, strongest athletes that it ever did have. Um, and then with, with three-point shooting came a finesse element that... Uh, oh, and also like the change of the rules and no more hand checking. So I think, you know, y- you get better athletes in the sense that maybe they can jump higher, longer wingspans. But in terms of like, like the, like they had some animals back in the 80s and 90s, right? Because the game was so physical, right? Uh, so I think that, you know, with the advent of shooting and dribbling uh, skills, like that's gone up. Uh, well, like you would expect the athleticism of the players in terms of strength and power, like y- you had just as good, uh, if not better athletes then. And because the game required it, like it was more based on just raw strength and power, right. Uh, and size. Whereas now, you know, you get a guy like Steph Curry, that's relatively slender, but his skill set is such that he can still thrive and dominate. Right. And, and you can't, right. you can't like physically restrain him. Like you could have before. It's just, I don't think there's any other sport where, uh, the comparison of greatness between someone right now and someone who played two decades ago is valid as basketball. Yeah. You think about baseball, for example, you compare Mike Trout to Babe Ruth. You know what I mean? The guys in the 50s were throwing fastballs, you know, 75 yeah. miles per hour. Different conversation, right? You're talking about football. You're talking about yeah. size and the physical strength these guys have. Hockey, same sort of conversation as well, especially the international accessibility of the game. Right now, like, I don't think, I think it's very rational to say that Michael Jordan is the better player than LeBron James. And that's not based on, you know, the era. That's so, hey, so while I got you on that, uh, the third thing I wanted to talk about, because this is kind of re, I mean, this has been an ongoing debate, but I think this has sort of reopened it a bit. Uh, do you, has watching this changed your perception of the Jordan LeBron debate? Um, or do you think it's uh, right? Or even uh, has it done so in support of Jordan? Right. Listen, if we're talking about talent, LeBron James is clearly a better basketball player. Okay. But like we were talking about before, the psychological killer instinct is, uh, is need to compete killer instinct. Same thing that yeah, Kobe Bryant had. What is what makes him the best player of all time? And I think this documentary is an excellent opportunity for younger NBA fans to sort of have a lens into the greatness of Michael Jordan. I think a lot of it was speculative based on statistics and YouTube highlights. I think having the opportunity to not only see him play, but the also content. understand the cultural oh, impact yeah. that he had oh, yeah. at that time is very interesting for a lot of younger people. Yeah, no, really and, before, and, right? and just building off that, like, that it's not just like you say a random YouTube clip. It's like they build a narrative, like so because you can't understand like a great game he has outside of like narrative that's gone in this like every season has its own narrative like you know like lebron's chase down block down 3-1 against the golden state warriors wasn't just a block it was a block that turned around the team to the championship right and uh, people can see that in this jordan documentary how like these great games that he had these, these these spectacular moments were part of you know dominant winning championships right game saving plays right um so, so I and and furthermore, you're about you know, how he changed not only basketball, 
but in the entire sports industry, like think about what he did for Nike, right? Whether or not like a Nike supporter or not, like this is a guy that 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 made the brand that is the number one athletics brand right now in world history, right? They were track shoe before and Jordan now, was affiliated with the brand. Who is Converse now, right? Hipsters. Right? Like right, whereas before the cons were like, right, magic and Larry wore them. This guy completely changed everything. You know what I found fascinating in the doc was like how guys like Magic and Bird who were on top of the game and Isaiah Thomas, how they knew within like the first or second season of Jordan being the league, this guy's the best player in the league. They knew it already. I think the toughest one when it comes to that is Charles yes. winning the MVP, playing him in the finals, you know, having that game and then coming in the next game and just knowing, like being honest with himself. And yeah, that yeah, yeah. And he said that it was the first time he said, this dude is just better you know? than me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lastly, I thought the last episode, the end of, Hello. yes, do you hear me? Yeah. Sorry, guys. We had a, a little bit of a, a little snafu. So Greg, I was just mentioning back. how the last episode that came out, right? Um, so that was, I believe it was episode eight because they released two a week, right? So that, and that would have been on the, this would have been on May 10th that it came out. I, I think like the ending of that, uh, that uh, uh, episode was the, some of the best uh, TV I've ever seen. Like, in you know, the whole uh, climbing back on top of the mountain, his father's death, the music that they were playing, uh, just incredibly moving. And then the buildup of then introducing Reggie Miller and him saying, you know, I thought this was my time. I was going to break out and be the one that knocked Michael Jordan off the mountain and just setting us up for the last two episodes. I think that episode, whatever number it was, I think it was number eight um, or possibly number six. I, I, I don't quite remember. That last episode, I think, will be the one nominated for an Academy Award, right? Like, that's the marquee uh, episode. And the music, again, is just really, really moving. You know, I think the biggest takeaway for me is just even getting a glimpse uh, of that sort of scrimmage dream team game. That was absolutely insane. Just being able to watch and oh, the, dr- oh, really cool. the dream team game. Yeah, that absolutely, right? And, like, how, like, Magic started talking shit to him. Right. And then before you know it, right, Jordan absolutely did them in. And then they were all kind of pissed on the bus. And then somebody made a quick joke, but it was no. And then everybody started laughing. But then because there, there, there was a little bit of a pecking order that had to be worked out and, and Jordan had to lay it down. Right. And sorry, just for our, our uh, listeners who are music buffs, the song that I'm referring to is by uh, Jose Gonzalez. Um, it's called Teardrop. Right, and you can find it on on uh, on on YouTube. It, it was originally by, by by the band Massive Attack, right? But yeah, Massive Attack. All right. On that note, you can also find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, etc. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Hopefully, we'll be able to provide you guys more redrafts. Um, try to do as much content as possible. Uh, it's not easy without any basketball news out there, but we're trying. Peace out, T. Dot. We're back. Got it!